This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 radio. 7:40 a.m. radio. Uh, good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. We have a big show today. The hockey world this week lost one of its titans, Jean Beliveau, and uh, we're certainly thrilled on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour to talk to legendary broadcaster Dick Irvin, who um, has some uh, great memories of Jean Beliveau during his illustrious career with Hockey Night in Canada, and of course, uh, also thrilled to have on the show this morning. Uh, uh, legendary Toronto Maple Leaf Dave Keon, who will also be sharing his thoughts about uh, Jean Belvo. We're going to go to a quick break very shortly, Naz, before we get uh, Dick on the show. Um, very quickly, your uh, your your thoughts on Jean Belvo. Well, Jean Belvo was a gentleman, and uh, anybody that uh, ever talks about him or has spoken to him has always said very nice things about him and uh, class act. Uh, the Bell Center is being open today and tomorrow for. Uh, um, individual uh, people to go and see him before they, uh, he lays to rest. And uh, it's gonna be a, there's going to be a lot of people through the Bell Center, I'm sure, Wally. Jean Beliveau, a perfect way to describe him, class, dignity, grace. We'll be right back after this break with Dick Irvin. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when my wife accused me of having an affair. How could I tell her that I was hopelessly in love with extra thin crust pizza from Pizzaville? I didn't ask for this to happen. It was so thin, so delicate, so delicious. I can't bear to share it with my wife. She wants me to see a counsellor, but I don't want to share it with him either. Call Pizzaville for an extra thin crust pizza at 736-3636. There's an old saying... Entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. 
At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Wally Sports Hour. Um, we will have shortly with us Dick Irvin. We're just connecting with him on the phone. Um, certainly talking about Jean Beliveau. Um, Dick Irvin, legendary broadcaster, legendary author, legendary Hall of Famer. Um, uh, certainly uh, some tremendous memories of, uh, of Jean Beliveau. Uh, good morning, Dick. How are you this morning? Thank you. Good morning, Dick. How are you this morning? Yes, I'm fine. Hello? Good hey, morning. Dick. Okay. Good. Great to have you, Mr. Irvin. How are you this morning? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been a difficult week in the hockey world. We lost a, uh, a giant of a man, both uh, literally and figuratively, in the passing of Jean Beliveau. And certainly there's been a tremendous emotional reaction. Um, uh, watched your interview on, on Hockey Night in Canada last night with Bob Cole, and I noticed Bob was uh, choking up somewhat uh, at, at, at a point in the interview uh, Jean Beliveau meant a lot to a lot of people in Quebec and in Canada, and uh, what do you attribute that to, Dick? Well, he was always a part of the community right from the time that he, uh, I guess how you could say, almost the time he played hockey in Quebec City, uh, junior and then senior hockey, and then, of course, joined the Canadians. But um, Jean was, uh, even after his playing days were over, as I said last night, that so many hockey players will be remembered um, after they get through playing hockey as much as for what they did off the ice as what they did on. And uh, he just never went away, you know what I mean? He retired, and he took an executive position with the hockey team. And uh, his work in the community, not only in Montreal, but all over Canada, uh, just never stopped. And so, you know, he became one of us. Uh, he was always John. John was always there. And I think that's in part why uh, so many people felt so touched uh, with his passing. Dick, it's Naz here. How are you doing today? Oh, pretty good, Naz. Thanks. That's good. Uh Rank uh, John Beliveau as a hockey player, uh, as a Montreal Canadian. Where was he on the, on the well, scale? Well, he, uh, you know, I'm not that uh, much of an expert on hockey, but he, uh, you know, he's, to me, he's number one uh, as far as the history of the Canadians is concerned because, you know, he was a wonderful hockey player. And if you want to just look at hockey skills, um, he, uh, you know, he ranked <laughs> certainly in the top uh, two or three with the Canadians. Um, but it was his leadership, his leadership quality, his presence. Uh, there was nobody else that I've ever seen on the Montreal Canadiens who could quite match that. 
that he had. And uh, so I think uh, from that standpoint, if, uh, you know, there was a, as I always say, if there was a draft of all the, well, the hockey players, but let's say take the Montreal Canadiens, and everybody was available, whoever played for the hockey team, and who would you pick to start a brand new team? I'd pick John Bellow number one. Um watching uh, Bob Cole last night, and I think he described Jean Beliveau uh, probably in the, in the best way I've ever, I've ever seen him described. He called him perfect. That's the word he used. He used the word perfect. Yvonne Cornway, when he found out about the passing of Jean Beliveau this week, was overcome with emotion and kept referring to him as my captain. Um, Keith Oberman on U.S. television this week said he was he was Jean, he was Joe DiMaggio without the ego, um, and he, and I think the the, the reaction to, to the passing of Jean is he reminds us of so much things that are important like loyalty, humility, dignity, and grace. Um, is that your recollection of him, Dick? Uh, yeah, p- pretty well. I think John would dis- dispute that, of course. He'd tell you I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But, uh, yeah, that's that's the image that he leaves. There's nobody, you don't hear, I don't think there's anybody with any uh, negative comments about John, uh, you know, over the years. Can't say the same with every uh, sports hero who passes. But in John's case, uh, he, John was John, and everybody he, everybody felt they knew him because he was uh, the kind of a person he was. Well, being from Toronto, uh, we uh, sometimes don't grasp what's going on in Montreal. How are they, How did they react to John Beliveau when uh, when they? How did the news that John Beliveau passed away? Well, it was a, quite an outpouring, uh, you know, in the media and and everything. I guess you can. Uh, I don't do social media stuff, but my daughter does, and uh, she told me that it was just uh, it was just crazy. With uh, it was nothing but Beliveau all all day, you know, and. Um, so uh, a lot of people were touched by it, that's for sure. Um, we're talking, of course, to the uh, unmistakable voice of Dick Irvin, uh, uh, legendary hockey knight of Canada commentator. Um, Jean will lie uh, at rest at the Bell Centre today and tomorrow, and there'll be um, a special funeral for him on Wednesday. They, uh, it's, it's titled a national funeral. And I'm sure starting, we're going to see an, an incredible outpouring of emotion. Um, and... and and, and Jean Beliveau and, and, and Maurice Richard reflect something that perhaps doesn't exist um, in any other athlete anywhere. Is, is Jean Beliveau really and, and Maurice the symbol of a nation? Is, is, is that why people are so emotional about this, Dick? Uh, no, I'm, I can't comment. on When you say a nation, what yeah. what, what do you mean? By well, I, I think he sort of he he's, Canada, the, 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 Quebec, the Quebecois people see them as 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 such a as a symbol of their of their spirit and their in in the in the, in the Quebec nation. I, I sort of get a sense of that that a, that they feel t- such a, a loyalty towards him because he's he's a leader of their people. Any any sense of that at all? No, not really. John never got involved in politics. Uh, Rocket did briefly uh, back in the 50s. After that, he stayed away from it. Um, that's that's in the uh, the eye of the beholder in, in those cases, you know. Um, I, I don't think that uh, in the final analysis you're going to see them linked with politics. I mean, the French-Canadian people, well, all of Canada, but everybody loves heroes. And uh, the Canadians, the Montreal Canadiens, have been very fortunate over the years, going way back to the days of Howie Morenz in the 30s and so on, and the younger Listeners don't know what talking about, but uh, he was a, a superstar hockey player, followed by Maurice Richard, followed by Jean Beliveau, followed by Guy Lafleur. Uh, they they had quite a run of. Uh, Lorenz was not French, but the others uh, are. 
and uh, they they just they, they love their heroes in that uh, in the province and uh, it, it, you know they love hockey and they love heroes and in those uh, those particular cases with those particular gentlemen uh, they got both in spades. Dick, you know what's uh, very interesting is that uh, John Belleville retired at 39 years old, and he was the leading scorer on the Canadians that year, and he retired on top. Um, could he have played another few years? Well, he wanted to retire the year before he did. Oh, wow. Um, he felt that uh, if his skills were slipping, uh, they probably were to a touch. Uh, funny, the last year he played in the playoffs, 1971, he led the whole league in assists in the playoffs that year. Um, the year he retired, but he had gone to Sam Pollock, the team's general manager, the year before. The team had missed the playoffs in 1970 uh, with 92 points, which was the highest, might still be the highest number of points the team had and still missed the playoffs. And he uh, he said he was retiring. And Sam said, no. He said, John, I wish you wouldn't. We've got a lot of young players coming into the team now. We're kind of rebuilding, and I'd like you to hang around for one more year and be a to help out with the young players and uh, be a role model for them. So he did. Uh, he, he stayed and played one more year at the team's request. But he had made up his mind uh, that whatever happened that year, he was going to retire. And uh, after winning the Stanley Cup, kind of an unexpected win, I suppose, in a way that with that particular team, uh, he was true to his word and he retired. And, and he had made up his mind and he never... He had a chance to go back, you know, and play in the WHA Oh, wow. Like, uh, Nordiques, and when they were in the World Hockey Association, they made him, I guess, for what in those days was really some huge offer a couple of years later. And he thought about it. He admitted that he thought about it. But then he said, no, he didn't. Uh, his career was over. He had made up his mind. So uh, that was the end of it. Dick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the reports were that you were at Jean Beliveau's first NHL game and also his last NHL game. Yeah, his, 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 his games when he was under contract to the Montreal yes. Canadiens. Uh, the teams used to bring up junior players and, and, and give them trials. And one year, John came up for one or two games, and uh, I think he got a goal. And then the next year, which was uh, the year before he, uh, he joined the team, they brought him up for a three-game uh, set, uh, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Thursday against the Rangers in Montreal. He scored two goals. And he was playing at this time for the Quebec Aces in the, American, in the uh, Quebec uh, Senior Hockey League. The next Saturday night, uh, the two nights later, I don't know who they played, but he didn't get any points. And then he went into Boston uh, for a Sunday night game in Boston and scored three goals. So he scored five goals, uh, you know, in his, in his trials. Um, I didn't. I only saw the second time around on that one. So I missed his very first game in the NHL as a junior player. He was still playing junior. Uh, but then when he signed his contract, I think that I could be wrong here, but I think Danny Galvin and I are the only two people who were. <laughs> present at his first game under contract with the Canadians, which was the NHL All-Star game in 1953, and his last game in 1971. Now, I wasn't working. 53, I was still going to school. Uh, Danny was doing the broadcast, but then he and I did the broadcast. Uh, May 18, 1971, I'll never forget the date. Uh, that was uh, John Bellow's last game. And uh, we had uh, actually asked you to come on the show a few weeks ago before the passing of Jean Beliveau and had uh, obviously some other things we wanted to talk to you about. And before we leave Jean Beliveau, we'd just simply like to ask you, uh, Dick, your, 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 your favorite or greatest Jean Beliveau memory. Oh, that's, uh, there's a few. I, I was the only person, for some reason, the hockey game wasn't even on uh, French radio. I was the only person to broadcast uh, his 500th goal. Uh, which came uh, against Minnesota in February of 1971. 
and no television of the game uh, at all that night. And uh, he he went into the game with 497 goals. So we weren't, we, you know, 500 was approaching, but we weren't thinking about it that night. Suddenly he gets two goals early in the game, and, well, wait a minute, they were at 499 now. And uh, then his 500th goal came in the second period. That was quite a memory for me. But I, I think my best memory of John on the ice uh, came uh, with his last game, that last playoff year, really, uh, when the Canadians upset Boston and... Uh, and beat Chicago in the finals, and to see him, to have the the image of him carrying the Stanley Cup off the ice in his last game, his last act as a Montreal Canadian, indeed as a National Hockey League player, uh, his 10th Stanley Cup win as a player, that was a memory that I'll never forget. You know, you think of this fellow, he he played his first two years in the league with the Canadians, uh, they got to the Stanley Cup finals both years and lost in game seven in the finals in both years, once in overtime when Doug Harvey put the puck into his own net for the winning goal. Um, so, so he was, in effect, two wins away from 12 Stanley Cups as a player out of his 18 years in the NHL. That's some, that's some record. That's incredible. Uh, I want to talk to you, Dick, about Gordy Howe. Uh, Gordy's not doing well health-wise, and uh, hopefully he gets better. But I want to talk about him uh, and the rivalry between Detroit and Montreal. I understand that the players wouldn't. Even, they would. They would travel in those days on the same train, and they wouldn't go through the, uh, the uh, their cars for for lunch or dinner, and they they kind of wouldn't talk at all back then. Describe the Detroit Montreal rivalry with Gordy Howe. Well, a lot of it took place when I wasn't even living in Montreal. I was living in Regina, uh, but uh, the thing about the teams in those days when uh, was they played each other fourteen times in the regular season. And uh, those two years I just mentioned, uh, 54 and 55, uh, they played in the playoffs. So that meant that in those two years, two seasons, these, these teams played each other 21 times. Oh, <laughs> you can imagine yeah. it today. Uh, and uh, the, the rivalry was bitter. I think the rivalry really took hold uh, when Gordy Howe became Gordy Howe, and the Rocket was already the Rocket. Two number nines, two right wingers, uh, lots of, uh, you know, uh, rivalry between the fans in both buildings and the Olympian Detroit, the Forum in Montreal. It all just evolved, uh, and I think that catalyst was the fact that we had those two players who were so good. I, I can always remember one fellow telling me he'd go, in, he'd go to the game and he'd, he'd walk in and the teams would be warming up, and he said the first thing he did was look to make sure that number nine was playing for Detroit and then number nine was playing for Montreal, and so he knew he was in for a pretty good night uh, when these two guys got together. And... Uh, yeah, it was the media was nothing like it is today, of course. Um, but uh, they, they were the two best teams in hockey. That that uh, the Toronto would sneak in once in a while, but certainly uh, over the long haul, uh, Detroit and Montreal were the two best teams, which added to it as well. It wasn't like you're playing a last place team, and uh, so it was really something uh, to behold. And when you think about it, uh, the two longest I think ovations that uh, hockey players have ever received. Uh, on the ice was Gordie Howe at the All-Star Game in Detroit when he came back as a Hartford Whaler in 1980 at the Joe Louis Arena, which was then brand new, just opened. And then Morris Richard, uh, the night they closed the Montreal Forum in 1996. Uh, you know, that, that that just tells you something about these two guys. That uh, and, and when you look at those games, there were thousands of people in the stands who were doing the cheering who never saw them play. Really, yeah. Gordie, uh, never saw Rocket play. And Gordie continued... To, to be in the limelight and, and make trips. Rockets kind of, he would disappear for many years and he'd come back and that's the kind of a guy he was. But DeGordy 
I can remember being in places like Vancouver and Los Angeles with the Canadians when the, uh, doing my job with them. When he happened to be there to make a presentation or whatever and walk out on the ice, and the, and the reaction was, was incredible. Dick, and, uh, uh, that just shows you what the impact that these two players had on the generations of hockey fans from that era. It was really, really something. We're talking to Dick Irvin, and just in a few minutes left, uh, Dick, you had a, you had a stellar uh, Hall of Fame career at Hockey Night in Canada. And of course, for many of those years, you were, behind, you were beside my favorite broadca- hockey broadcaster of all time, Danny Gallivan, uh, who, uh, who could make a lousy game interesting. You guys, you guys were phenomenal, and I always remembered Danny for his Gallivanisms, the cannonading shots and the Savardian spinoramas and the larcenous saves. Uh, tell us a little bit about your time. What, uh, would, what was it like being uh, next to Danny Gallivan doing a hockey game? Well, when you get old and retired like I am, fellas, you, you, you think that uh, you get asked a question about your highlights of your career and so on. And uh, uh, I always say one of the, my two is uh, 17 years in the broadcast booth beside Danny Gallivan. You know, the, the, from the moment I started, and I was the, the raw rookie, really, he uh, he accepted me like it wasn't like I was the new kid on the block. It was as if I'd been working with him for years, which was very important to me. Uh, I think if they, I hadn't had that kind of support from somebody like him, I don't think I would have made it. And it it, it, it was a good lesson for me. I hope I was the same way when I worked, I worked with a lot of broadcasters over the years as the newer fellows came in, of course. And Danny was Danny. I mean, uh, you know that in 32 years, of broadcasting the Montreal Canadiens, he was in their dressing room just twice. Well, today, all the broadcasters are expected to be in the dressing room and talk to each player and talk to the coach and go to the morning skate and so on. It's not that he wasn't prepared for the broadcast. He certainly was. But with Danny, it was the game. The game was the thing. The rest of it was my job. Uh, But he just concentrated on the game, and, of course, he concentrated on probably better than anybody else ever has. So uh, it was... And he was a fun guy to do... We used to play trivia, and people used to think, oh, they, they planned that in advance with the questions. No way. He never did, and he would scare the heck out of me when he sort of turned and <laughs> launch into some trivia question for me that I was pretty sure I, did, I didn't know the answer to. It was, those were my scary moments working with Danny. But uh, the, the thing about him, and, and I wish that you know, some of the current broadcasters could pick up on it, is that he was his own man. He had his own style. He did things his own way. That's the only way you get ahead. If you're going to copy, and I've heard people copy Danny Gallivan, use some of his phrases, which drives me around the bend. Be yourself, and he certainly was, and he was a unique individual in that way, and that's what made him so great. Um, uh, interesting you say that he was he's definitely one of a kind. I don't see how anybody could copy that style. You were in the booth with him, and he came up with all of these sayings. Did he ever, uh, how did he come up with those things? Uh, it was, it, was it just off the cuff at the time, or... Uh did he ever surprise you in the booth uh, at any point in time with what? Oh, yeah, he surprised me all the time. A <laughs> uh, perfect example of uh, is that phrase that you mentioned, spinorama. He was doing, uh, working a CBC radio Sunday night game one year in Oakland, California, and he went for a walk. He always liked to go for his walks in the afternoon. And he sees bolorama, laundorama, uh, you know, hamburgerama, something. He's already inside He said, a rama. Well, that's, you know, so that night... Uh, Sir Savard had that move of his, and he would spin around. So Danny, right off the top of his head, I wasn't working the show with him that time, but he told me this story many times. And it's just off the top of his head, he said, spinorama, because he'd seen all these aramas around the, the streets of Oakland, California. And then he, he added to it, uh, he then called it a Savardian spinorama. 
But that's what he would do. He'd get an idea from somewhere and incorporate it into his broadcasting. Uh, thanks. And, you know, a cannonading shot. <laughs> Cannon. funny, he got a letter one time from a professor at a college in the Maritimes, which upset him because Danny was a staunch Maritimer. And the professor said, there is no such word as cannonading. <laughs> well, there is now. Back and he said, there is now. There is now. Uh, we've been talking to Dick Irvin. Dick, we've got uh, my producers giving me the one-minute thumbs-up sign, and uh, we've actually got an interview with Dave Keon coming up uh, okay. uh, right after this, and uh, I'd be remiss uh, in, in not asking you uh, uh, your thoughts on, on Dave Keon and, uh, and, his, uh, and his body of work as a professional hockey player. Well, I always remember, Dave, the seventh game of a playoff series, a semifinal between the Canadians and the Leafs in Montreal. Toronto won the game and the series, and Dave scored all three goals for the Maple Leafs. And when the game was over, they announced the three stars. And the two first two stars were the two goaltenders, Charlie Hodge of the Canadians and Johnny Bauer of the Leafs, and the third star was Dave Keon. And I talked to Dave for one of my books, and I remember he said to me, what has the guy got to do to get a first star in Montreal? <laughs> uh, he was just, uh, you know, one of the great hockey players that people like of my age and the era when I watched the game uh, remember fondly because he was... Uh, just an all-around great athlete, and, 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 and hey, listen, he's, he still lives on in the minds of fans from that era. There's no question about that. Dick, thanks very much for the interview today. You were absolutely tremendous, and uh, sorry I, I've been bothering you for the last three, four weeks to come on our show, and I'm glad you did, and uh, we really enjoyed it, and uh, we hope to speak again soon. Okay, thank you very much. There's no problem. Okay, thanks, Dick. Right on. Thank you. That was uh, legendary Hockey Night of Canada broadcaster, author, and uh, uh, Dick Irvin. It was certainly a, a pleasure walking down memory lane with Dick Irvin. Some uh, some great thoughts about Jean Beliveau and, and Gordie Howe and uh, and Danny Galvin. And uh, um, just looking at our producer Justin, do we have that tape lined up? Okay. I just want to tell uh, listeners we. Uh, Yesterday, we had the opportunity to talk to Dave Keon. Um, uh, Dave Keon was really nice to us uh, and uh, interesting interview. So uh, please enjoy this interview with legendary Maple Leaf captain Dave Keon. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We have with us this morning, um, I will unabashedly say, and I'm, I, I don't want to embarrass my guests by saying this, but I will say it, the greatest Toronto Maple Leaf in history, Mr. David Keon. Mr. Keon, it's a distinct pleasure to have you on the show this morning, and, and we're, we're, we really thank you so much for being with us. And it's been a, uh, it's been a, a tough week in, in the hockey world this week with the passing of Jean Beliveau, and we really wanted to get your thoughts on Jean Beliveau. Um, you certainly had numerous battles with him uh, in the 1960s. Um, you grew up in Quebec. Um, uh, during a time period uh, when uh, Jean Beliveau was becoming a star. And uh, on October 6th, 1960, you skated out for your first game as a Toronto Maple Leaf at the Montreal Forum. And you suited, up, you suited up and you lined up against Jean Beliveau. Uh, your recollections of that, of, of Jean, and, and that particular evening, Mr. Keon. I, uh, I, that was our, my first game. Uh, that was our opening uh, game of the 60-61 season. And I think sometime around the middle of the first period or something, uh, Punch put me out. And I uh, was facing off against Jean. And uh, I, uh, I, he looked, 
he furrowed his brows, brow, I think, and he looked down at me and wondering, who is this person? <laughs> that's my... Uh, I only played two shifts or three shifts that night, but uh, that's that's what I remember from the first game well, and, and playing playing against him. Well, Jean Bell, John Bell will found out very quickly who this person was because uh, you ended up being Calder Cup uh, winner, Rookie of the Year that year, and... Uh, you had uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens in the 1960s, uh, forever rivals, had, uh, had uh, an incredible amount of battles, uh, five cups for the Habs, four cups for the Leafs, and of course you were a part of all the Leafs' cups. Uh, what impressed you most about Jean when you played against him? Well, uh, I didn't play most, I think Red played mostly against him. I played against Henry. And then uh, Bob Pulford played against uh, Ralph Backstrom, but he um, was a commanding uh, person when he when he was on the ice and uh, uh, for for a, a big man. And he was he was a big man. He was six foot three, and I don't know what he weighed two hundred two hundred and twenty pounds. I mean, he was very agile, very graceful, and uh, everything was very smooth with him. And uh, uh, and he was and he was powerful too so uh all of those things combined he was a dominant force uh when we played the canadians david uh john belleville uh, your your recollection how was he uh viewed in in montreal they had some high powered players back then how was he viewed as uh, was he the top player on that team or were there other guys also well i think um when he when he came in, he came in under such scrutiny. Uh, he had he didn't come out a junior. He played two years in the Quebec senior, and then he came to the Canadians. And much was expected and written. And uh, I think initially, because of injuries, it didn't start quite as quite as well as as he had hoped. But I think in the second year, uh, he started to play, and he was healthy. And uh, they realized, you know, what a dominant player he was. Uh, the Rocket was there, too, and uh, so I, I don't know, you know, how that, how that dynamic worked out, but obviously it did. Uh, they won five cups in five years, so... Uh, but he was, he was a, a dominant player at that time. Not at that time, throughout his career. David, you grew up in Quebec, uh, um and uh, came into your early teen years when, when Belleville was first becoming a star in, in uh, Montreal. And somehow you, you eluded the grasp of the Montreal Canadiens and became a Toronto Maple Leaf. I think you had a, a, a detour with the Detroit Red Wings for a short period of time. Um, when you were growing up, any recollections when you were a minor hockey player um, of seeing, I guess television may not have been until later, of hearing about Belleville, of uh, how... Uh, how how well known he was, how great of a player he was. Uh, did you look up to him when you were growing up? Anything like that, David? Uh, well, we I knew about him uh, from playing junior and then and then going and then playing senior and then going to the Canadians. Uh, I didn't see him play until I went to St. Michael's uh, in '56, and then I got to see him play live when uh, when the Canadians came to play the Leafs and. Uh, um, he was um, he was a he was a force. Any memories of Belleville off the ice? Of any conversations you ever had with him? Uh, I know in the 
in the 60s, uh, Habs and Leafs were probably bitter enemies, but uh, off the ice, ever ever have any interesting uh, conversations or discussions no, with them? No, I think other than the fact that, you know, if we passed, we might have settled all. But, uh, oh, in those days, there was not a whole lot of fraternizing between uh, between teams. Uh, so there were six teams, and... Uh, I know you probably know the Detroit Chicago or Detroit Montreal where they wouldn't uh walk through the other team's car to go to eat so they didn't oh. eat incredible but, uh, it certainly was no, there was no I mean you you knew who they were and if you saw them you said hello or you nodded but uh, there was no great uh, uh there was no great conversations David, the one thing I realize is that uh, on the passing of, of John Bellavo, I have not heard one bad thing said about this man. And uh, yeah. what are your uh, thoughts on uh, John Bellavo's career? Well, he had a great career, uh, uh, no doubt, uh, about playing for the Canadians and probably is, uh, if if not the best, probably with the Rocket, the the two greatest Canadians ever to play, uh, and what they, you know, what they did uh, for the franchise, uh, the, the standard that was set, and uh, John was the guy who carried the torch, uh, making sure that uh, everybody understood uh, the importance of uh, of winning and the contributions that everybody had to make. And uh, he, set, uh, he set the standard, and everybody followed. Now, the, the, it's certainly interesting what, uh, what goes on, uh, the passing of Jean Beliveau. And, I, and I found, when I found out about it the other night, it sort of it took a pause, because we're talking about a man with class, with dignity and grace, and that's how he carried himself. And, and to a great extent, that's how you carried yourself on the ice, David. That's what I remember about you. And when you played, you played with class, you played with dignity, you played with grace, and so did Jean Beliveau. And uh, there was another athlete uh, uh, at, in those times, Joe DiMaggio. Uh, we, we sort of, um, I remember reading somewhere that he, um, you know, he was a tremendous class, dignity, and grace. Um, were, were any of these people influences on you, David, in terms of how you played? Oh, well... I, I'm sure, probably, and subconsciously, maybe they were. But uh, I think you only you try and and um, play and uh, do the things uh, the way you were brought up, and uh, you try to uh, make the most of your abilities, and hopefully, you're going to help your team succeed. I, I think that's what what he did, and that's what I tried to do. And. Um Red, you spent some time at St. Mike's, and uh, one of the legends in Canadian hockey uh, uh, was there at that time, Father David Bauer. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Father David Bauer and about your time at St. Mike's and what, what kind of an influence that had on you. Uh, he was, uh, at, he was uh, the vice principal at St. Mike's when I was there. Uh, Bob Golden was the coach. He was the manager, and... Uh, he had an influence on me, uh, a, a very definite influence on me, because he tr he uh, made me understand uh, what I had to do to be uh, to play at the next level, and 
it took a couple of years for me to realize that, but when I did, I understood, and it certainly helped me. So, for, you know, from his standpoint of, of improving my skills, he, it, was, uh, it was a great help. And then Bob Goldham was the coach, and he had played uh, with, the, with Toronto and with Detroit and been successful, and he was influential in uh, guiding me or... Uh, and telling me about, you know, what to expect uh, at the next level. David, uh, Gordy Howe currently uh, has health issues, and we're, uh, we're waiting day by day now, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate. But your recollection of Gordy Howe playing in the NHL, and then you joined him with uh, his two boys in the WHA, and then I think with Mark Howe and Gordy in the NHL coming back with Hartford. Describe Gordy Howe. Well, he was he was like Jean. He was a he was a big man. He, you know, he was a force. Uh, those guys were were physically really strong. So when you're that big and you're that skilled, you're a force. And um, he was uh, uh, he didn't take any prisoners. Gordy didn't. And. Um, he, he came back and played with. I was in Hartford, and uh, they made a uh, Gordy and Mark and Marty came. I think in seventy seventy eight um, to Hart seventy seven seventy eight to Hartford, and uh, we played together for three years, and that was uh, that was exciting because I uh, got to see him on a daily basis, and uh, and he was. Uh, you know, he was he was 46 or 47 at the time, but he still had the enthusiasm to play and uh, and compete. And uh, I think because of his strength and uh, determination, uh, he was able to do it, and he did it. He did it very well. Uh, we're talking to David Keon, uh, Leaf legend, uh, Toronto Maple Leaf legend. Um, a couple of minutes left, David. Um, my first recollection of watching a hockey game uh, was the 19 was game seven of the 1964 semifinal game seven in the Montreal Forum, and I've said it on this show a few times. That he has, David. He has. I've said it on the show a few times. That's one of the greatest games ever played by a hockey player in a clutch situation. It was game seven in the Forum against the first place team. Toronto beat Montreal that night. You three to one. You scored all three goals. Um, your recollections of that game? Well, it was fun when it was over. Oh, <laughs> 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 I, I happened to be in the uh, right position at the right time and and uh, ended up scoring. But the goaltenders played. The goaltenders were John was good, and I think Charlie Hodge played for the Canadians. And uh, we got ahead and uh, we hung on and. Uh, we uh, went to the finals and did the same thing in the finals. We went to seven games, but uh, that was uh, for me. That was a special night, uh, um, beating Montreal and beating them in the forum. And uh, we'd be remiss, and uh, we're going to wind it wind it down now, David. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about 1967. Um, that one was. Uh, May not have been a surprise to the players on the team, but it's sort of a surprise. Uh, you had the team had some ups and downs that year, and uh, K 
came together in the playoffs. And uh, at that time, we never thought that uh, 40, 40 plus years later that that would have been the last one. Um, your recollections of that uh, of that cup, David? Well, we weren't. Uh, we had a bat. We, well, I think we lost ten, and then we went ten without losing, and uh, went into the playoffs. I think uh, maybe uh, Chicago was looking past us to uh, to play Montreal, but uh, we, uh, you know, we played very. Now you have to play good for two months to win the cup. Then you only had to play good for one month, and and for that month we played extremely well. And uh, uh, you know, there's people who say we didn't deserve, but you know, the, at at the end of each series we had won it, and uh, we had won each in six games. So um, everybody uh, everybody participated in in our success. Um, everybody was asked to to do stuff, and they did it. And um, uh, our goaltenders were good, our defense played good, and the forwards played good. And uh, that was. Uh, you know that was really. I I don't know that it was unexpected, but it was exciting, and uh, we were very thrilled to do it. There's uh, David. There's one player in the NHL that's been compared to you now, and he plays three ends of the rink, three sections of the rink, the uh, their own end, the, the neutral zone, and uh, the offensive end, and that's Jonathan Tays. Um, have you watched him play? I have. What's I think the, he's a bit. I think he's the best player in the league. Terrific. Uh, we've we've uh, talked about Jonathan Taves on the show, and uh, we tell our younger listeners all the time. He reminds us. He reminds us so much of you and the way he can play the game in every zone, in the defensive zone, in the neutral zone, in the offensive zone. He reminds me so much of you, David. Uh, he's the well. Modern. Thank you for that. But yeah. uh, I think he's. Uh, I think he has been. For the last three years or four years, as if not the best, the second best player in the league, because he and he competes every game. He doesn't he, he doesn't take a game off. So and uh, every time I get a chance to watch him, I do, and he's he's never disappointing. Anyways, uh, we've had we've been speaking with David Keon, um, uh, and we thank you so much for David. I'm going to put my notes away now, and I'm going to say something that you might find a little bit embarrassing. So I apologize in <laughs> advance. Um, you're the you're the greatest leaf in Toronto history. You were small in stature, but you had a huge heart. You played with class, dignity, and grace. And every time I go down to the ACC, I wear my my number fourteen sweater, emblematic of Dave Keon, with Dave Keon on the back of the jersey. This has been a distinct pleasure and privilege for us, David. We thank you so oh, much. You. We thank you so much so much for your time, and we wish you all the best of health in the future. Thanks, David, right. and enjoy the 81 degrees, okay? I will. Thanks very okay. much. Okay. Keep well. Bye-bye. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Uh, certainly a fun interview, Naz. Uh, certainly had a fun uh, fun time, uh, an interesting time with one of my, I guess, heroes from when I was younger, David Keon. Uh, we, uh, a, a, a gentleman, um, uh, class, dignity, and grace. We talked about Jean Beliveau. David Keon played with class, dignity, and grace as well and played hockey the right way. I wish they they would get together the Leafs and David so that he could get a proper night for himself at the ACC. Uh, probably won't happen, but I would hope it does. And hopefully the Leafs will uh, be able to to settle things out with Dave Keon. I'd love to see that happen. Uh, you check out nazandwally.ca. 
nazandwally.ca, our website. We have a blog piece I wrote back in the spring uh, that 14, number 14 should be retired as all other Leaf jerseys should be retired, and we'll certainly keep that discussion going. Right after break, we will have Matt Devlin, Raptors broadcaster, uh, changing uh, track a little bit, and uh, we'll be back shortly. It was a rainy day when Peterville asked, how much loyalty is there in the world anymore? Well, about 14 inches, we figure. Introducing Pizzaville's new loyalty program. After your sixth order, you'll receive a large 14-inch pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. You scratch our back, we feed your face. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. That's pizzaville.ca. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Bond. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740 radio. We're in the home stretch here, Naz, and we're pleased to have with us this morning Matt Devlin, Toronto Raptors broadcaster. Good morning, Matt. Hey, how are you guys? We're, we're hey, great, and thanks for thanks for being with us this morning. Uh, My real pleasure. pleasure. Uh, want to talk a little bit about your broadcasting career before we get to the Raptors. Uh, you're a graduate of Boston College in communications, and uh, to get to the Raptors job in 2008, uh, you spent a little bit of time in what I guess they would call the minor leagues of broadcasting. And my only point 
for that is to say that you, you worked pretty hard to get yeah. where you are, and it, and it didn't necessarily come easy for you. Uh, yeah. And broadcasting is obviously a passion for you, given the amount of hard work that you did to get there. Tell us a little bit about what it took for you to get to the Raptors broadcasting. Well, you know, when I got out of school, I really didn't know, you know, anyone in the industry. Um, so I kind of leaned on a couple of people that I had met along the way uh, with an internship. And they said, start off in a small market and work your way up. And that's essentially, you know, what I did in, in 1991. My first job was in Abilene, Texas at a small uh, you know, market, uh, working for an NBC affiliate. And then I really got the play-by-play bug. Um, and I started in Springfield, Illinois. And I spent the next six and a half years calling minor league baseball for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, the then California Angels, and then ultimately the Colorado Rockies, which uh, placed me in New Haven, Connecticut. And then along the way, um, you know, also did, you know, high school football and college basketball and um, college football and high school basketball, just anything I could to get on the air to improve. And, you know, ultimately one thing led to, you know, another, and and I was fortunate enough in 1997 to uh, get a break filling in for the great Jack Buck uh, on KMOX radio uh, for a series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Philadelphia Phillies. And that uh, catapulted me to an opportunity to do um, a lot of different things, and and it led to uh, Madison Square Garden Network hiring me to do college basketball um, as well as the New York Liberty um, fill-in on the New York Knicks as well as uh, do some New York Yankees work on on radio uh, during the postseason. So, you know, little steps along the way, um, and everybody has, I always tell, you know, aspiring announcers, broadcasters, that everybody has their own journey. Um, You know, some are, you know, able to stay in one market their whole entire career while others, you know, need to, you know, go and and go to different markets. And uh, and that was my case. And in 2001, I was offered the job with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, and and then I was offered the job of the then Charlotte Bobcats, and and ultimately in 08 offered uh, the opportunity to come to the Toronto Raptors. It's great to have you here. Um, we know some people that you know, and uh, how do you get – what's your timing? You're, how do you do this? Have two kids in AAA hockey, <laughs> and you play, and you have the Raptors too. Yeah. How do you handle it? Because I had a kid in AAA hockey, and I couldn't handle one. How do you handle two plus your job? I can probably answer that for you, Matt, but uh, it's probably some other person you have at home that carries the load, but I'll let you go ahead and answer that. Yeah, I also have a, an older son as well, and um, so three boys in, in total. Uh, I have a saint of a wife who, uh, while I'm out um, beyond the road with the uh, Toronto Raptors, uh, you know, she happens to be the one um, in you know, on the weekends or during the week, uh, shuffling them off to practices and, and what have you. And, and not only that, but, um, you know, has been willing along the way to, to move um, and sacrifice her own career uh, for, you know, ultimately, you know, allowing me to achieve my dream and, and truly and thankful for that. I can tell you that. Uh, Matt, uh, turning turn our attention, obviously, to the Toronto Raptors. Um, Friday night was a tough game. Um, I, I think 
obviously now missing uh, DeRozan in the lineup. And uh, we're quarter quarter of uh, way through the season. And uh, uh, is the season going as you would have expected? Well, quite honestly, you know, when I look at this team, you know, they're 15 and 5. And, you know, I really think that they've managed the first 20 games brilliantly. Um, because when you look at the five losses, I, I exclude Chicago because I think Chicago really, you know, did a number on the Raptors. But those other four games, to me, you know, there are components to those games that you can, you know, look at and say, okay, you know, the Raptors, if they had taken this approach or if they had done that, they had an opportunity. And it goes back to, you know, the Miami game where they missed 15 free throws and allow Miami to score 64 points in the first half. And, uh, you know, Dallas, they turned it over 17 times, leading to 22 points. Um, you know, and then this past game against Cleveland, you know, to me, that spoke more to when you're playing a team like Cleveland, you can operate against Utah and Sacramento without DeMarcus Cousins with out DeMar DeRozan and that first game against the Lakers this past week it really took you could tell the game for them to realize okay wait a minute we don't have DeMar you know how are we going to operate what are we going to do out there and the Cleveland game to me you know spoke more to you you don't have that other score because this team the Cleveland Cavaliers have turned it around and in six games they're limiting opponents to less than 91 points a game. And because of that, um, your defense now has got to take it to the next level, and you have to have that ability to have that extra score that can possibly do some things. Um, So now you have Denver coming in, and Denver uh, is a team that is not playing all that well. You have to take advantage of that. And then you have your rematch with Cleveland, which to me it's going to be interesting to watch their approach. Their offense, while it needs to be there, ultimately it's going to be that defense without DeMar DeRozan. Uh, What do you see as a need for the Raptors team? I I wonder if they need somebody that uh, is physical, uh, additional to Valanciunas. What are your your thoughts, Matt? Well, you know, it's a a good point. I, I think... My thoughts are based upon, do you believe that there is a, and here they are in first place by a game, mind you, right? Yeah. And I was looking at the standings and the top six teams uh, in the East, they're all playing well right now. Um, they're all coming. So my question is then to myself, do you believe that this is a team that has a window of opportunity to get to the Eastern Conference Finals? And if you're having that conversation, then I think that, you know, they are missing quite possibly a big. Um, and that big could either be, um, you know, a power forward type, a physical presence on the inside. Jonas obviously only played 20 minutes last game. You know, it's, it's a difficult spot. I mean, Jonas has to grow up in a hurry based upon the success that's happening around him. And we all know that bigs take a while to uh, improve. It, bigs take a while to develop. He's just 22 years of age. That along with this, that Terrence Ross, you could also have a conversation about, you know, that three position. And in the past, you would say, hey, you're okay 
um, because you have James Johnson coming in from a defensive standpoint. But Terrence needs to be more consistent as well. Matt, unfortunately, I'm, I'm uh, with my apologies. Respectfully, I'm going to have to interrupt you. My my, my producer is giving me the the motion sign because our time has run out. Yeah. I've only run through about one third of my questions, unfortunately. <laughs> so I hope you'll uh, you'll come back and join us on the for air sure, shortly. Sure, anytime. You guys know that. And we we really love to have you again. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. You guys Thanks, have Matt. a great. Have a great Sunday. Thanks so much. That was Matt Devlin, Toronto Raptors broadcaster, and we'd uh, certainly take him up on his offer to come back on the show. We really do want to talk to him again. You've been listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. It's been a great show today. Dick Irvin, Dave Keon, and Matt Devlin will be back next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Have a great week. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.